Mr. A here, saying, how y'all doing? Yo! Are you ready to rumble? Or should I say tumble? Cause I don't stumble, I fumble like a Gregor Brian Gumbo. Standing on the ground, putting the beat down, coming worms and drums, and I'm doing it on my turn. Welcome to the Rumble. We are back and better than ever helping you stay ready so you don't have to get ready. We don't want you sucker punch, so we're here each and every week helping you keep your guard up. I am Jeremy LaBelle with Remedy Claims Consulting at Claims Coach on Instagram and TikTok, and they just call me the mouth of the South. And once, and alongside of me once again is the catastrophe queen, the claims dan herself, Miss Jessica Odell, and the festively fastidious, (laughs) the ferociously fanatical, the one, the only baby cakes, Miss Donna Lavelle. How is everybody doing? This is actually the day after Christmas. How are y'all doing? Did y'all have a good Christmas? Mm -hmm. Well, I'm not real sure when everybody's going to be listening to it, but tomorrow. Tomorrow? You're going to have this? Okay. Well, so they're actually listening to it today, but to us, it would be yesterday. Yeah. So it will be the day after the day after Christmas. Yes. Oh, okay. Great. New Year's Eve, 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 Eve. I think that was one too many Eves. So are you talking about when they're listening to it or when they're recording it? Because depending on that, you could have been right. recording it now, but they're going to be listening to it then. Yeah. Like pre-recorded is 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 redundant anything recorded was done it's already before. pre-recorded every recording is pre-recorded so this episode is has been pre-recorded yeah this episode has been pre-recorded it was recorded before it was recorded which i don't know how Magic. we do that but we're going to figure that out and I'm, what? and I'm super excited about it huh i have some fun facts oh you've got oh i found well, some then let's get to it she was digging around it was a lot of noise in the background you should have heard her earlier there were cats screaming all kinds of anyway so what are the uh the fun facts that you've dug up out of the bottom of the trash heap this time well they're going to be centered around the holidays and christmas so, did you know that Santa Claus has his own zip code? I'm assuming all of the North Pole is just one zip code, but go ahead. Santa Claus's zip code is H0H0H0. Is that a fact? Yes. Um, it's designated for Santa at the North Pole. Every year, Canadian children can send their letters to this address. I guess American kids can, too. Um, can send this, send their letters to this address and receive a personalized response from Santa. A personalized response from Santa? Yeah, he's got to be a busy guy. I hear he gets tons of fan mail. He, it says, to whom it may concern. <laughs> I just wondered how he balances the whole naughty and nice list with answering the fan mail and the Christmas yeah, request. Yeah, like, does he respond and say, you were bad? I mean, I, mean, I just imagine. shit this year. Yeah, I mean, maybe so. Maybe so. Did y'all ever see the movie Elf when he actually has to go down to the mailroom and work? I would think mm-hmm. that he would have been very good at that. That shouldn't have been that new. Yeah. Based on the amount of mail that guy probably gets between requests and everybody starts in the mailroom though yeah that's where you got to start yep um jingle bells was originally a thanksgiving song um it was yep it was written by lord piermont in 1857 for his church's thanksgiving concert but over the years it became more closely associated with christmas jingle bells was originally well i guess it's more of a winter song if you think about it um, in Japan, it's a tradition for people Saw to enjoy video. a Kentucky Fried Christmas. I don't know if this is true or not, but it was on the internet, so. It's got to be true. Yep. Um, so it started off as a, as a marketing campaign by KFC in the 70s and evolved into a widely adopted tradition of eating a bucket of KFC 
chicken to celebrate Christmas. I, I'm all for it. For around Japanese the, children around the, the Japan. Around the Japan. <laughs> what was it you said earlier today? I wonder if those those kids in the in the Far East are excited about opening up toys they just put together. Wow. <laughs> Straight to hell. We're going with you. It's okay. Straight to hell. I'm going straight to hell. <laughs> okay. Now you know, and knowing is half the bullshit. Now you know, and knowing. Merry Christmas, everybody. I'm hoping that you're uh, you're you're geared up for this one. Um, Jess and I are going to kind of dig into something that a lot of people have been talking about over the past um, about the past month or so. And that has to do with the subject of fee caps. Okay, so I want to remind everybody this is just a discussion. And uh, we're going to kind of dig into like the good thing about fee caps and the bad thing about fee caps and a good friend of ours. And just is is Tony, a, is he an attorney or is he a PA? Kind of what is his? I, I don't, I haven't either. He, but he's, according to this, he's on the Wheeler, Diulio, and Barnaby um property damage attorney website. Okay. So he wrote an op-ed piece uh, concerning fee caps and whether or not Napia is or isn't aligned with him. His position was that they have. In fact, the title of his op-ed piece was Napia aligns with insurance carriers on fee caps. And I, uh, and that was the title of his piece. Now, whether you agree with him or disagree with him, I am not really here to weigh in on it. What I would like to discuss over the next three rounds is why fee caps might be good, why fee caps might be bad, and whether or not it's even possible to institute a fee cap across the nation, kind of a flat fee, you know, kind of to institute that, you know, across all states that allow public adjusters. So, we're going to get into each and every that. I want to remind you that it is not Jessica and I that are debating here. It's you guys that are in the rumble. While we may disagree on some points, we are here basically to provide the commentary of the slugfest that you guys are in each and every day. This is going to come to you in three rounds. When you hear this sound, you know that the round has begun. And when you hear this sound... As always, you know that it is when the round is over, and we're going to dig into this fee cap business because round one starts right after this. Are you just wanting help on strategy on a specific claim? I can help you find the traction you were looking for and learn how to truly control the narrative in the ever-changing world of claims. You can reach out to me directly Public at 888 or you can find Rumble, me on the web at remedyclaims.com and just click Public Get Adjuster Started. Training That's 888 or remedyclaims.com None of them started. You can even shoot me an email with Jeremy whether you need to learn how to estimate scope, negotiate, remedy claims, I can help you drill time down to on move the your career you want to, to the next level. Maybe you're just starting out and you need to learn the claims process from A to Z.
Round one, why fee caps might be good. Okay, so I said, you know, round one, why fee caps might be good. I personally, you know, when they start talking, anything that is capped kind of automatically makes me nervous and I kind of go on my guard. And it, um, you know, and so I'm, I'm, you know, immediately in my head, my immediate response is I'm opposed to it. But before I just jump off in it, remember why we exist. We're here to defend the insured and protect the insured. And ultimately, we're getting paid right out of the money that is coming from this claim, or at least the amount of money that most of us are paid are based on the amount of claim. There are a few outlying states such as Louisiana that is not based on the value of the claim. It's more of a flat rate or an hourly rate. So there are states like that. Louisiana is just one of the examples of them. And, um, Fee caps are something that most of us look at. I'm going to give you an example. Just Texas. Texas has a fee cap, and this is basically how Texas works. And Same. I honestly have no problem with this statute. It basically states that public adjusters cannot charge more than 10% of the full RCV value of the claim. And the full RCV value of the claim, I want to remind you kids that are following along at home, does include the deductible. That's what we're allowed to charge. Now, if we are in a situation where we are working after the carrier has kind of already weighed in or the can has been kicked down the road a bit and we come in for a small increase, maybe we are arguing coverage on a small one one area and there's an increase on a $100,000 claim and we're looking for an increase of ten or $15,000, Texas allows us to charge... 25% allows us to charge 25% of the increase of that value, but that 25% increase will never be allowed to exceed 10% of the full value of the claim. No matter what, that is the most that we can charge. So at the end of the day, it's it's 25% of the increase or 10% of the RCV value, whichever is less. And so I find that to be a more than fair amount. I worked with that amount. I have been working with that amount for a long time and I make a fine living. So, but I think, you know, people having an idea and an understanding of what they're getting into when it comes to hiring a public adjuster and how we get paid, I think transparency in that is needed. I think that we need to be upfront about how we charge, where we, you know, how we're doing our math. And I don't think it should just be a number that's pulled out of the air based on the difficulty of the claim, in my opinion, you know? So I believe that a fee cap is reasonable. Um, other areas that get fee capped, I believe that in some situations, there are attorneys that are capped at something. I, I don't know for a fact because I'm, an, I'm not an capped. attorney, but I know that they yeah. have much higher fee caps. Um. But there, I, you know, I, I believe that they're still capped at some level. I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm welcome. I welcome any attorney to weigh in here because I'm not an attorney and I don't know. I, I am making that right. as an assumption. So, you know, in theory, if, if the attorneys cap are capping there. 30, 40 percent or that's what they're charging, um, you know, what, what, why would a PA feel the need to charge 30 or 40 percent on their own claim on their part of it? You know? 
Well, and I could, I, I mean, and I don't disagree with you, Jess, because I, I think a lot of this attorneys have a much higher administrative burden when it comes to not just navigating a carrier, but navigating the court system and what is required by law in order to drag someone mm-hmm. kicking and screaming into the middle of a lawsuit, right? Where they are legally right. obligated and yes. there is fallout for ignoring it. You know what I'm saying? So I, I believe that there, I believe that administrative burden is well worth its existence. I think it serves its role and I think it's a good thing all in all. So I'm not upset about that, but fee caps are just kind of part of it. And I don't have a problem with the fee cap whatsoever. So Jess, what do you yep. think so about I think fee caps? The, I, I, since I'm this not round is specifically talking cap. about the good, the good about fee caps. One, it does keep people from doing what a lot of people in our industry are already trying to do. And that is to take advantage of people when they're in their time of suffering. So it keeps people from charging 30 and 40% to turn right around and send their file to legal, which would then take another 30 or 40% of, of that as well. So I think it, it helps keep people honest. It's already bad enough out there. <clears throat> and going back to, you know, if that's what attorneys are charging, 30, 40%, well, we're not attorneys. We're not even close. We have nowhere near the amount of education and training that an attorney would have. Why? What gives us as a profession this this oh well i i earned it well no you, you we, we don't i mean a 19 year old can come out of high school or whatever go take a, a class online or, or whatever and get a certificate to be a public adjuster would they make a good public adjuster like that no but that's all that's technically required for them to work a claim so to be to to just arbitrarily say it's fair to charge up to upwards of 30 or 40 percent and not have a cap is just it's absurd in my opinion yep and i agree with you i completely agree with you not to and you need to be able to communicate to your client yep here's where my role starts and stops that i'm getting on here's what i'm doing to earn that percentage and then by the way there are still two other methods of dispute resolution that we may have to explore after i've exhausted everything within the confines of my license And here's the other thing. Here's the other thing that I don't think anybody wants to look at is that the percentage fee cap, as opposed to like a a flat fee cap, like the most you can charge is $15,000. Okay. What we're mostly talking about here is why a percentage fee cap that is based or derived from the value of the claim. Okay. Um, you know, we're talking about a percentage. It allows us to work on contingency. Do you know what I mean? And so without a percentage fee cap, that contingency thing sort of goes away. Now, I fully support the contingent nature of our service. How do you feel about the contingent nature of our service? So what I mean is, just to be clear, and I'm, and I'm sure you understand because you're a very smart person, Jess, that if we don't win you anything or we don't bring any value, then we don't get paid. Now, contingency is something that even first party and third party attorneys deal with. I mean, you can look at like all of the personal injury attorneys across the country. It's like if if we don't win, you don't pay kind of the kind of the idea it makes for a very kind of easy sales process, in my opinion. 
You know what I'm saying? So I I think that the fact that there is a fee cap on the percentage helps the contingent yeah, I I, nature I of our services. I How do you the, and, feel and about that? It Jeff? also the the other part is by not forcing us to do something like Louisiana where it's hourly, right? Because unfortunately, Louisiana is still hourly. We or or even flat fee. It's not percentage based. There's no room or flexibility for us as professionals to say, okay, you know what, this one, you know, I I, I get it. I normally charge maybe ten percent on a claim, but for yours, I'm just gonna do. I'm just gonna charge five because of the amount that was in this claim. And honestly, I was able to do it with you know two letters that I spent X amount of hours on. So having it more fluid that way versus any other kind of cap, whether it's an hourly cap or you know, something of that nature. I think it's, it's preferred. Well, and I, and I think one of the things that's good about fee caps is Absolutely. it keeps us honest and it keeps us working hard. You know what I'm saying? Um, I think the other thing that's good about a percentage fee cap, one of the things that it fosters is our, um, responsibility to stay relevant to the claims landscape, you know, at large. Um, let me just kind of give you an example. 10 years ago, we could go out, we could draw some circles on a roof, put some test squares down, take some photos, write an estimate. Yep. And that claim generally would get yep. paid before, for you're talking about before replacement COVID. nine times out of 10 without any problem. Yeah. I haven't seen that since after since since COVID hit. Well, yeah, I'm talking. Yeah, I, yeah, that's yeah. Ten years ago, right? I mean, so and so that was pretty much the long and short of it, you know. And we could take, we could simply just, for lack done. of a better term, take some pictures, write an estimate, and turn in, you know, a twenty-five or thirty thousand dollar roof claim, and take our twenty-five hundred or three thousand dollars. And yep. go on down the road, and it was wash, rinse, repeat. Well, lately, yep. um, it's not been that easy. <laughs> I'll just put it to you like that. It's just simply not been that right. kind of easy when it comes to getting a roof approved, okay? Can you imagine charging somebody for the time and the effort for the wash rinse repeat process your 2500 or three grand for your wash rinse repeat um, process regardless of the outcome do you know what i'm saying and so that contingent fee percentage is is a good thing and it causes that public adjuster to stay up to speed and i'm not talking about continuing education here I am talking about, as far as statutes go and the way the claims are handled from a regulatory standpoint, I'm talking about all of the different, you know, the moving goalposts that sits in front of us that carriers seem to, you know, want to provide. I mean, because back, you know, when I first started this, it was between six to eight hail hits, you know, in a test square. And now you're seeing you draw a test square, then you draw six squares inside of that test square. And there's got to be so many. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like it's and it's all of this, which are all essentially estimating guidelines to help people who don't understand whether or not a roof is damaged enough to replace it. And that's to help uneducated people, you know, unseasoned people make determinations on the amount of coverage that should be extended, which doesn't have anything to do with roofing professionals or public adjusters at all. 
right? But, and these people like to say, well, your policy only covers a full roof replacement if these hits are in the right place on this many test scores. And that, and that estimating guideline or that inspecting guideline, they like to make it part of the policy. Do you know what I'm saying? And so we as public adjusters have to learn that argument and stay on top of that to remind that adjuster that we're talking to on the other end of the phone or that adjuster that we're talking to while we're on the roof. It's like, look, buddy, I understand what you're up against. I'm not up against Mm -hmm. those same guidelines. These are in place so you don't make a mistake. They're not in place so I don't make a mistake. These are so you don't make a mistake. And my argument is going to stand. I don't care how many hits you have in your little test square up there, you know, but it allows us to stay on top of what right. the carriers are doing. And and damn it, Jess, that's half our damn job is to understand what the carriers are doing. Now, I understand you work in more of a contracting world. Just so people know, Jess, Jess Spence um, has recently took a job, I guess, you know, um, in Q3 with a with a contractor but she comes she's a she's a licensed public adjuster as most of you know and she understands kind of what we're up against and so i love that she's here to bring kind of a contractor's perspective to things as well as her knowledge when it comes to public adjusting and then obviously her icrc knowledge and clout that she has that she can always answer those questions but Anyway, I mean, to stay relevant in those situations yeah. is always super, is, is super handy. I think, handy too, a fee cap, really the other positive fee caps, it still ensures that there's process. enough money left in the claim for the insured to actually get their work done. Like, it, it keeps it, in theory, a, a fee cap would keep it at a reasonable rate. And when I say reasonable, I if I were to propose a fee cap, I would propose that perhaps, maybe there's one that's for residential, Maybe there's one separate for commercial because they are not the same, like by a long shot. There are so many other, you know, multitude of moving pieces that go into a commercial loss, not so much a residential loss. So I sat down and I thought, okay, the article Julio was saying, you know, he had the, oh, he said 92% of all insurance claims are under $25,000. Okay. Well, first and foremost, and you and I kind of talked about this earlier, that's you can't even go off that twenty five thousand dollar number because that if that's it's a skewed number because that that leads us to believe that's just that's what's being reported number. and we already know that a vast majority of claims are underpaid to begin with so that ninety two percent of all insurance claims are under twenty five thousand I guarantee you that that benchmark or, or that amount is much higher than that but let's just use that as an example just as an example I sat down and I, I crunched some numbers and. Sure. You know, what they were proposing or, or what Julio was saying that Napio was proposing, um, the, there was talks of a nationwide cap of 15%. Well, first, I'm going to have to caveat that I don't remember seeing. Okay, it did say new money. You're right. You're right. It did say new money. On That's new right. Money. So on new 15% money. of new money. Yeah, Let's take a $25,000 claim because 92% of all insurance claims in theory are under 25. So let's just start with 25 Let's say the carriers paid 12% already, or 12, I'm sorry, 12,000. Gosh, get my English rate. 25 grand for a loss, 12,000 is already paid. Now the claim is stalled. The adjuster's not responding anymore. Who knows? A multitude of reasons. The insured feels the need to go get a PA. PA comes on board, 15% of new money. Well, the new money in this case would be 13,000. Well, at 15%, that's 19. You know, that's $1,950 for the PA to settle the claim if they were to get it up to that $25,000. Yeah. 
looking at that for a basic residential claim, when I take a look at what, what my average time in on an average residential loss, okay, this is average, so it skews depending, but I would say we put an average of 40 hours into a residential claim. Looking at the number, you know, totaling up the hours, travel to and from the site, inspecting the loss, intaking the client, preparing a photo report, preparing the estimate, engaging with the carrier, conducting a joint inspection. That also includes travel to and from that joint inspection and time on the site for that joint inspection, time to prepare the rebuttal, time to prepare a final demand, and then communicate back and forth for up to 45 to 60 days. When you break all or or total up all of those errors, I guarantee you it's about 40, maybe a little bit more, but let's just go with 40. So of that 1950, that $1,950 that the PA fee would come to divided by that 40 hours it took them to settle it at the full $25,000, that comes out to $48.75 an hour. Do you know who else in this country makes about that amount according to indeed.com? Attorneys make $41.37 an hour on average in this country. An aeronautical engineer makes $42.02 per hour in this country. A senior web developer, $42.34. An adjunct professor, professor, $43.53. Midwife, $44.94. I mean, we're, we're getting into, I mean, professions that have an immense amount of education behind them. And to be clear, this is generally salaried money, okay? This is salaried money. Now, you'll hear attorneys that bill between, you know, $250 and $300 a year and all of these kinds of things. Now, that's not what we're – $250 to $300 an hour. That's not what we're talking about. That money is sort that, of what the just business the charges for the services yeah, at an hourly yeah. rate. That's, that's, that is not Yes, so it would be hourly. business – Right, because then you'd have some sort of overhead. So, okay, but continuing out my math in theory, when I was looking at the, well, why would it be okay? Like, why is this not a bad thing? In this scenario, it wouldn't necessarily be a bad thing. Let's assume, right, you get one claim a week, that's 52 claims a year. At that rate that we we talked about a second ago, that's $101,400 a year. Maybe you have 30% of that as your overhead, right? Maybe you have some CRM, a CRM you're using, mm-hmm. your own training and education, your inspection equipment, Xactimate subscription, DocuSketch Matterport, all these other subscriptions. Let's assume that makes up 30% at the end of your year. You still have an income of $70,980, which is not too just god awful, but I think it's a lot less than some PAs out there have grown accustomed to because in some places it kind of has still kind of been the wild wild west but but even if not is it that we're mad at the cap or is it that we're mad at our economy as a whole right now our our like looking at these lawyers the aeronautical engineer senior web developer all those professions down there they're making the same amount it's almost not even fair that we're making that if we just do you know again this is all theoretical right it's theoretical. I'll just preface that or keep, you know, driving that in. Yeah. I mean, I mean yeah, we, so- we've got, we, we've got to start somewhere. We've got to look at it somewhere. The one, the, the thing that I want to point out is most people, and I'm talking adults because most of the people that are public adjusting, I just want to point this out real quick, Jess. And I think you make a great point. 
70 grand a year ain't nothing to sneeze at, you know, between you and me, especially when you're talking about a middle class dual income household. You know, if one of them is making 70 a year, that is generally by and large, you know, stuff that that people can live on. You know, it's paying bills. Now, I mean, ain't nobody getting rich on that. And you got to be smart with your money and all that kind of stuff. But generally, $70,000 is money that we bring in. When there's right. a salary, sort of a guarantee behind it. You know what I'm saying? Because we are subject to so many changes. You know, we're subject to who's in office. We're subject to um, we're subject to so many different things. The the you know, the regulations that change on us, what we can and what we can't do. You know, we've got to carry levels of insurance, whether it's general liability, errors and omissions. And, and I think that that was one of the things that you were speaking to in the 30%. You know, I mean, that may be sure. a little low, that may be a little high. I'm not really here to weigh on one way or the other. But there are some places here where you can evaluate because the number one rule that I have is that you don't hurt the claim. And one of the things that you can yeah. do to hurt the claim Good is point. insert yourself where you're really not needed. And when you're talking about a claim that's $25,000, you know, you're talking about a claim that's $25,000 by and large, and they've paid twelve dollars or $13,000 on that claim, most of what we're doing at that point in time is supplementing. It's not a coverage question. You know what I mean? They've already opened up coverage on that thing. And so we're not really fighting a coverage issue. And so I'm not, and, and that's why I'm telling PAs across the land. And I'm really wanting to help contractors learn kind of what their role is as the expert. And I'm wanting to remind, you know, public adjusters, the proper time to public adjust a claim is when, you know, there appears to be available coverage and the carrier for whatever reason is just not extending or opening that set coverage. You got any final thoughts? I just there? think I know that, that if, we kind of they do it all over that. Fee so. cap, I, I really do appreciate kind of what Texas does in that it, as long as it doesn't exceed the 10% of the total value of the claim. And here's why, whether it's a $20,000 hail roof, you know, roof claim from a hailstorm, or it's $125,000 hurricane loss. Cause you know, a lot of my losses were hurricanes. I'm going to put the same full court press effort into documenting that loss, getting all the key players involved you know, coordinating and and basically orchestrating the claim process through and through. It doesn't matter what that what so to to cap that income on just new money. Like if we're going to lower that cap, then lower it to where it's the full doesn't exceed the full RC. You know, ten percent of the full RCV or or fifteen percent. And I think one of the things that that. And I think one of the things that that, that points out here is Kentucky did like that two and a half percent cap on on something. And I can't remember all the details about it, but this is sort of one of the things that spurred the conversation on is that Kentucky basically brought in a two and a half percent cap. And all that really does is make people not want to be public adjusters, which I think is Delio's point (laughs) is that, you know, we're making. That's why. Yeah. And that's what we're going to get into in round two. And uh, round two starts right after this. One of the most difficult claims you can work is a contents claim. It requires extreme detail and significant documentation. Ricky McGregor with Monarch Claim Services is the expert you need on your side. She will handle on-site evaluation, inventory, photo documentation, pricing, and overall contents claim organization. She will work with your team beginning to end so you can focus on the rest of the claim. 
do your client a favor and call Ricky McGregor with Monarch Claim Services. You can reach her at 515-783-1434. That's 515-783-1434 or find her on the web at monarchclaimservices.com. Round two. Why caps are so freaking bad? So, yeah. if I have to fall somewhere, <laughs> you know Agreed. what I mean? I, I, I want to reiterate. I think the way Texas does it is great. I'm very happy with how Texas does it because 99% of the time, a claim in Texas, the value yep. of the claim is representative of how tough it is. You know what I mean? Um, I know like during Hurricane Irma, there were, um, you know, in, 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 you know, Fort Myers area where Hurricane Irma was very strong. There's a ton of tile roofs there. Right. And a lot of the damage that was done, you were getting up to 150 and $200,000 in claim and, you know, in claim value. And all it was, was a roof replacement. Whereas most roofs, you know, you know, that are 30 or 40 squares, you know, around Hurricane Irma time were somewhere coming in around between four and $500 a square. I'm talking about a composition shingle roof. So you're looking at $20,000, but these tile roofs were coming in at a hundred and $125,000. And, but the job is the same. You know what I mean? It's still just an estimate. It's some photographs. It's dealing with an engineer here and there. And but I also know that carriers' attitudes Lord, are really different they? at twenty thousand dollars <laughs> versus a hundred and twenty thousand dollars. That's right. Their attitude of whether or not they want to pay a claim is is directly related to. I mean, there's See, I was going to say sixty. That that's so close. Yes, up over sixty dollars. Yep. I mean, you know what I mean, but. I just, yeah, right. It's right in there. It's sort of like alarm bells start going off. Meetings are hailed. You know, children are taken hostage. I mean, there's all kinds of little things that happen once that claim value ooches up over that sixty to seventy thousand dollar mark. That a lot of flags go up yes. and people start paying attention, yeah. and the burden gets heavier. Do you know what I'm saying? Whether it's replacing one tile on a roof. Or one, and I'm going to tell you, one pair of speakers. Um, I, I have seen where one pair of speakers gets more scrutinized than anything, It's and it's just because it's expensive. And I believe with everything in me, based on my experience, carriers' des desire to pay a claim is to directly related to that line of de demarcation of $70,000. If they can keep claims below seventy grand, generally we can buy bump and hum without a whole lot of worry. And that's why really and truly all of these public adjusters who are wanting these large losses large, in my air large. quotes, I'll do it for you, Jess. Nobody else can see me, but you know, large loss claim. You have no idea what you're asking for. No clue. You have no idea. And the only reason you want a large loss claim is because of the payout. I am telling you these actual large loss, complicated claims are so much work that 10% seems to get very, 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 very small. You know what I mean? And so, you know, while we're talking about fee caps being bad, that is one of the things that I look at. There are places where I think that they're needed. And there are places where I think that the public adjuster really gets screwed over on it because once it gets up into that large loss territory, the amount of back and forth that you referred to in your scenario I, I think in round too, one really uh, freaking and this changes. Is where Go ahead, Jess. Hopping the fence and coming over to the construction side, mostly, you know, in water mitigation and, you know, chemical cleanup, stuff like that. The 
the large loss in the PA world or, or talking to, you know, roofers and stuff like that, it, you're right. It's tied to a dollar amount, but I will tell you in the rest of the industry, large loss, typically it, you get into distribution centers, whole businesses having to shut something or part of something down that large loss means something completely different. And you deal with brokers and, and risk managers. You don't deal with, you know, the insurance agent down the street, you know, in your local town or whatever, you don't deal with, you know, Joe Schmo insurance, you know, agent. it is, it is a completely different, uh, it's, it's a completely different sector. It's, it's not, it actually doesn't have very much to do at all with the dollar amount so much as the caliber of personnel you're interacting with and what they expect you to do as a PA. <laughs> uh, so true. So, 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 so true. I, I mean, I cannot tell you. I mean, because basically you can take that exact amount of right. that you have in a large loss and wad it up and throw they it in the floorboard schedule, of the car. Schedule of values. They want to see like all these other things. And I was like, man, this is all these. The ho- I call them Hollywood PAs. Um, the Hollywood PAs when they would talk about large losses. That's all it was. It was just dollar amounts. And now that I'm on this side and I've just my eyes have been completely opened to what large loss really means. I'm like, holy cow, we have, we have no idea what we're talking about in our our own industry. (laughs) There, you know, a cap, a cap is still, you know, I don't, I still don't think we're, and I'm telling you you what, (sighs) that's why I think there should be a residential cap and a commercial cap because there, there is a, a different beast. Well, and I completely agree with And I was going to bring this up in round one. One of the things that they do on the IA side, at least they used to, I don't think they do it much anymore, but we used to have what was called a fee schedule, right? And so between this much and this much, between, you know, like between one and $5,000, there was this much fee between five and 10, between 10 and 20, between 20 and 30 and between 30 and 60 and, you know, and then it would go up there and then there was this amount of money. So whether it was $20,000 or $29,999, that price for that span was exactly the same. And I remember sitting around a bunch of independent adjusters that were sitting at, you know, just a few dollars, a few decimal points short of getting it up to that next fee tier, uh-huh. so to speak. And they were running around trying to get, you know, right. that extra 150 or $200 that came with the next fee tier, right? And, you know, people are always going to be driven by money because at the end of the day, this entire thing is managed and right. run by people. Have people. And at yep. the core, they're out for themselves. You know what I mean? That, I mean, that, and that's just a reality. You know, I like to think of myself as very ethical and I really want to do the best thing I can for my client, but not at the expense of my own children. Right. And so I, you know, so let's leave us, leave us no yeah. doubt here. Well, I mean, who's if, most if I go important back to, in this scenario going back in my to that world? $25,000 right? example. <laughs> so I went my. back and I said, let's assume the carrier paid even more. And so all that's left for the PA to fight was 7000 Under that 15% of new money scenario, looking at that 7000 that the PA has to fight for now, 
under that scenario, going through all of that math, the same that we talked about up, you know, earlier in the other, in the other round, right? Break it down 40 hours a week, you know, 40 hours per claim. What does that come out to? It came out to $26 and 25 cents an hour is what the PA would get make off of a $7,000. But they put in the same amount of time. It still took 40 hours to go out, meet on site, document the loss, chalk the roof, whatever they had to do. Take If there was ceiling damage, they docu-sketched, they, whatever they did. They did the whole shipment. They did everything that they would normally do. Because still, the total value of that claim was 25. That means they already knew all the bits and pieces that had to be involved in that. So they still did 40 hours, but at that $7,000, 15% of that, Basically, if they still had one claim, you know, per week, one new claim a week like that, 52 claims a year, that same income it came to $54,000, $54,600 for the, for the year. And then I assumed, you know, maybe you have up to 30% or whatever in overhead. Your income came, comes out to $38,220, which, so then I went to, yeah, it is on. And that's on a that. variable, that's on a variable Six. pricing model. And, You're right, and as opposed to a fixed pricing model, where where whether yeah. you're making a hundred thousand dollars a year or, or fifty thousand dollars a year, that cost of that CRM is the same. That cost of Xactivate is as well. It's not the same. Yes. It's actually gone up. Yes. Same with Company Cam, and same with all of these other people right. that are going up, right? And because that's inflation, guys, prices go up. So, you know, and 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 it's like, and it sucks, and it sucks. But five years in it from now, if you're still around. You won't care about this price increase. You'll be bitching about the one that just happened. So, I mean, price prices going up is 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 a part of running and doing business. You know what I mean? Nobody's here trying to because can you imagine? Like, I know company. I think Company Cam just went up on their prices. And God bless you guys at Company Cam because I don't want to go back to what it was like before we had you. Yep. Just don't. Just don't want to go back and do it the way that we did it, having to import photos into Xactimate, not being able to translate and having somebody upload photos right into the photo journal with a link and all of the really cool technology that they had. And when I'll tell you this, just between you and me, Jess, I don't know how you felt about it. And this is just company cam specific. I would tell you that when I found out how much company cam cost, the immediate thing that went through my head was, well, that's not enough money. You know, I always thought it was low. You know what I mean? And I'm so appreciative of what those guys do. And, you know, I'm yes. not encouraging note, price increases. Note out there to, uh, but, to company cam. Jess and you know, Jeremy now are shielded I, from the next increase. <laughs> yes, that's the whole reason I brought this up is a cheap, shameless plug so to defend 30. and protect me from price increases from all of these people. But um, I want to see some Facebook. I want to see some uh, posts. If we're going to complain about company cam, we're going to complain about, you know, Xactimate and all of these kind of things. Guys, I want you to start putting Facebook posts out there every time ATT, Verizon, and T-Mobile raise your freaking prices. Or do you pay attention or you just pay it because it's an auto pay and it's not something you care about? Because we could all go back to not having cell phones, too. You know what I'm saying? Some of these things are not, I mean, company cam in my world is not a luxury. It's a utility and you have to look at some of these things that have become a utility in improving and bearing out the claims for the work product that we need to produce for the day and age that we're operating in. So, you know, that's why 
you know, when we're dealing with, and this is the thing that I referenced earlier, and I may be way off base here and way off task here, but these fee caps, the reason, reason I don't like them, but you know, a percentage based fee on a contingency is essentially recession proof, inflation proof. You know what I'm saying? I mean, we're not going to be affected by that because as the prices go up now, I realize your price to prosecute and carry through a claim, you know, company cam amortized across however many claims you work in a, in a month, you know, if they went from 40 bucks yeah, and, and you're working, keep what scenario, did you say? It was you know, one claim a across, week. You know what I mean? Yeah. On your scenario, you know, I mean, let's say it went up to $40. Are you telling me, are you, are you telling me, do you plan to contend that that $10 fee for that one claim that you're working but, on company? But at the end of the day, it? that $38,220 salary, really? quote unquote salary, um, in this theoretical scenario, I mean that I looked up again through indeed.com and some of these other, like what, what professions out there make that kind of income. And it's an entry-level machinist, an entry-level remote online chat specialist, a remote customer success coordinator, and entry-level supply chain call supports. But, like, we aren't – we're worth more than – I don't – and that sounds snooty. I don't mean that to be snooty. What we do, what our job entails does still require – we have to know policy. We are still on tap for our errors and omission. You know, you know, we're we're on tap for a lot. Yeah. Yeah. And all of these costs the same. Yeah. Yeah. All of these costs the same. And that's why I was saying it's more of a fixed price cost model. You know what I mean? It's more of a fixed cost model rather than a variable cost model. Now, a variable cost model comes into play because the more business you do, the cost of doing business goes up. But these baseline non-discretionary sort of sort of things that we pay for, they're going to stay the same no matter what. You know what I mean? And that's why. And here's the other thing. Here's the other thing that I want to bring up in my last minute here. And so prepare the rant music because I'm about to go off on it. Public adjuster is a service that is provided. Okay. And 92% of claims get opened, inspected, paid, settled, denied, whatever the case may be. 92% of them get, get, go through that process without me, Jess, or any of you good hearted people out there ever getting involved. Okay. But it is a service that is paid for. And I do not understand why somebody feels it necessary for me to be capped on what I charge for something that somebody has elected to do. So that's, that's a brave conversation between you and your customer. Okay. So if I want to charge $60,000 to handle your $5,000 claim and you're willing to pay it and I'm willing to charge it, I don't think anybody should step in and tell me a damn thing about what I can and can't charge for a service that I provide because most of these claims do not even need my my existence, but people choose to do it because they see the value in it. And so I use a cap. I use a 10% sort of as a rule of thumb. And the last time I checked, we are not attorneys. They don't need our help 
help navigating the claims process. Though I do believe it's beneficial. I do believe it brings a very strong value, but it is not 100% required. It is these people's choices. And if you're predatory, shame on you. If that's what you're doing and you're preying on people's tragedy and you're showing up at people's driveways with their house on fire, hoping that you're the person that they pick, then shame on you. And that's just how I feel about it. And that is no slight to people and how things get done in certain different ways. I understand all of that, but I am not going to prey on somebody's on somebody's tragedy because, you know, we've got a hurricane coming. I'm not going to go knock on doors and go, when the hurricane blows your house away, call me first. You know what I'm saying? What I want to do is I'm there to lend a helping hand, provide a little bit of peace in a storm, and I should be able to charge whatever I want to to help them navigate that process. If you can file taxes on your own and you can handle H&R Block, I don't know if they're capped on how much they charge. I don't know if Jackson Hewitt's capped on how much they charge or any CPA or whatever the case may be, but if I've got a service and I want to sell it and somebody's willing to pay for it, then butt the hell out of it. So, and that's just how I feel about a fee cap. Now, again, I don't think you should prey on the tragic. Okay. So all of that, all in and all done. There I am. That's yeah. why I don't like fee caps, just to be honest with you. I final yeah, thoughts. I think Jess? that's a good point. And I think that kind of goes into what we're gonna kind of talk about in round three also. Well, and I think one of the things, you know, because round three right. is basically about a nationwide fee cap and whether or not that's going to work. And we're going to get into that, whether or not we think that that's a good idea, if it's even possible. Um, never mind, you know, that little thing we call the Constitution of the United States providing certain privileges and rights to the states. But we'll get into that in round three because it starts right after this. When choosing someone to help with your online marketing, make sure you go with someone that has years of experience. Our good friend Sally at Thrive has over 20 years of digital marketing experience. She can build you a beautiful 15-page sleek, interactive website, post on your social media platforms multiple times a week. She can do a video, an amazing CRM to manage and uh, maintain and nurture your clients, text, email marketing, review generation, a business listing on 60 plus search engines, including three voice networks, appointment scheduling, estimates, invoices, payment processing, and more. She will also create for you on uh, on Google, a Facebook page, in Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn. If you need these for your businesses, she'll, she'll help you create those pages on all of those sites. If you already have these pages, she'll optimize them for you as well. Call or message Sally today. If you want to get started, you can reach her at 214-789-1651. Again, her name is Sally Brigance. Her number is 214-789-1651. And uh, you'll also get a landing page the day you sign up. When you send her a referral that signs up with her, she'll credit your billing account. Logos are also available. Um, and she also offers a lead generation service, an SEO 
search engine optimization where she can uh, guarantee you to appear on the first page of Google or your money back. It is spelled T-H-R-Y-V. And you can find my good friend Sally Brigance, and that's spelled S-A-L-L-I-E, Brigance, B-R-I-G-A-N-C-E. And she can be reached once again at 214-789-1651. Round three, should the fee cap be nationwide? That was not a cheap, cheap, uh, cheap, shameless plug for nationwide insurance. Oh, this one's awful. The idea of a nationwide. That's dumb. I'm just going to go first. Yeah. You want to go first? You want me to go first? There is just no way that you can do a nationwide fee cap. That just doesn't work. You've got too many other state laws. You know, uh, the, the first one that comes to mind is some states, and I and, and I live in a state where there is no state tax. Okay. Yep. Um, Jess and I are both from Texas, but she flits across the border over into the over into the land Louisiana. of the land of the Louisianas um, quite a bit. So she kind of understands that they do have a state tax. I remember when I was an independent adjuster over there, I had to report. Um every claim that I worked in that state and what I got paid on it, that was stuff that they wanted to know, um, you know, and how you, how that income is earned. And so because there's state taxes in some States and no state taxes in other States like Texas and Florida and, and all of the different, you know, regulations that go into that, I just don't think it works. I just don't, I just don't think you can get into a flat tax, a flat fee, that is nationwide because I think our cost of living is different. I mean, could you imagine having a 15% fee cap on new money trying to pay for an apartment in Manhattan? Right. Well, and here's, it would be awfully bold of anyone to try to impose a nationwide fee cap when we don't have any nationwide governing body over our profession. 
It's governed by the states. The states are who license us. The states are who determine our fees, caps, whether they exist, not exist, whether it's RCV, new money, all that good stuff. To say that something would be needed to be implemented nationwide goes as far as saying that there also should be a governing body of some sort at a national level, which would also then state, okay, well, then we need some kind of national, nationally accepted curriculum and licensing, education, all that other good stuff. Like you, you can't do one without the other. Right now it's with the states. And it makes sense that it's with the states. The infrastructure for our profession is with the states. So to do nationwide, uh, somebody's got to step up somewhere and be that nationwide regulator governing body. Yeah. yeah Who's that? I love it when the federal government gets involved. I love it when the government gets involved at any level because that really works. <laughs> this is a podcast by two Texans. <laughs> yeah, to say we love. Well, you know, look, um, I served my nation's military proudly, same. and I am yeah. so glad that they have done such a wonderful job at protecting our borders and maintaining the level of world peace that makes it even possible to exist around a bunch of bickering people. I love that we are who we are. You know what I mean? I don't think there's a better country in the world to live in. And I've been to a few. Okay. Um, but right now, public adjusters, when it comes to fee caps in general, public adjusters have no governing body to appeal to when the carriers seem to basically take the take the policy, pitch it in the pitch it pitch it in the trash can and decide not to follow it and create their own narrative and do their own claims process aside and apart from what the policy demands calls for. And they do it on every single claim, every single claim. And if if you if you want a longer dissertation on that, please feel free to reach out to me and I will explain that to you. But go read the duties after the loss and you will realize I, I just have one question. Why do they write an estimate when they should be out there to do nothing other than verify whether or not there's coverage or whether or not there's actually yep. damage? Yep. What's the point of the estimate? But they otherwise, meant to keep the cost it's low. It's price fixing. And they do such a good job that the average claim is below $25,000 when the, that is not my average claim. And I, nope. and I mean, how many times have you gotten a claim that was below deductible and it, and it went way north of 30 grand quickly? Oh yeah. 30, I would say, yeah, 39 seems to be the new 25, if you will. Well, I, I, I think and, 39 and, is the lowest one that I've had in a while. And you you made a really good point is that we're, you know, public adjusters, there's no there's no bona fide education for public adjusters. There's no community course, you know, matriculation that you can go out there at a college and 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 get your certification or your degree in public adjusting, as is there is not one in independent adjusting. It's a 40 hour course and pass the test. I mean, as far as they're concerned, you could have been a bartender yesterday and an adjuster today. And here's the wolves and the flames. And we're going to throw you in them and and go out there and adjust claims with no pre, pre exactly. knowledge whatsoever. And so that that's, is exactly why claims, that's why claims are below $25,000 is because most of us, most of the people, including the public adjusters that are out there, don't have a rip and start as to what should be done or shouldn't be done from a contracting point of view. And, and so for all you public adjusters out there that think contractors are stupid or all of you contractors out there that think public adjusters are stupid, none of us really understand fully what is going on there. 
You know what I'm saying? And that's why we really and truly need to depend on each other. And the same for you independent adjusters. If you're out there listening and you don't know what the contracting practices are, freaking ask somebody for crying out loud. You know, and I'm telling you that there's methods and means of repair. Just ask. There's a ton of people that will steer you right. And I, and I cannot tell you the number of entryways that I stood in, and I asked the homeowners as an independent adjuster, do you intend on hiring a general contractor to complete the repairs at your home? I asked that question, one, because to determine whether or not I was going to add overhead and profit to it, and I didn't talk about complexity. The complexity of an insurance claim is complex if it is just a window screen because of the administrative burden to navigate the shit that you got to go through just to get a check out of the insurance company. Right. And so, I mean, that all that's already complex, but I would ask them if they were going to hire a general contractor. And most importantly, have you chosen one yet? Because I would like his take on what he thinks that the repairs yes. are supposed to be. That's what I did as a general. That's what I did as an independent adjuster. Can I talk to your general contractor so that I can get a fuller and better? And that's how I learned to adjust claims, guys, is I talked to contractors. The other thing that I would do is when I knew that a window would be replaced, I would get on YouTube and Lowe's had a battery of videos that was great on how to how to change the do-it-yourself thing and i would look up all of these different things inside of you know i know that you have to measure a window and through a window a window opening in three different places so that you know how to how to do that how to size the window properly but in Zactimate, it's just pop it out and put another one in it's like it's like they're legos you know what i mean and and it's just not you know just yeah it's just like a range know, of square feet just remove and replace you know a medium-sized window it's nothing to it you know just go and it's like what size do you wear i'm you know i'm a medium you know and it's just not that simple there are all of these different line items that go into accurately assessing what it takes to make these repairs and that's why as an adjuster i knew i wasn't a contractor so let's talk to that contractor talk to me a little bit about what's going on here what are you going to need to complete this job and somewhere that entire concept and idea got lost and it became a contentious competitive thing between I told I mean I was in a I was involved in an appraisal just the other day Jess and I know we're talking about fee caps and whether or not it's going to work across the across the board but if you've heard this before don't stop me I want to hear it again I was talking to I was talking to uh you know an opposing appraiser and he goes well um you know I just don't see the complexity here and the need for the the need for overhead and profit here and the, the contractor doesn't need that and I was like you're right the contractor probably doesn't need it but I'll tell you who does need it is the homeowner because that's Yep. Yep. It doesn't make any difference what your opinion on it is. This person has already incurred the cost of a general contractor. And if you want to talk about complexity, the very fact that it's sitting in appraisal tells me that it's been complex enough that overhead and profit is warranted. The very fact that we're here tells me that. And if you're wanting, and, and because of all of these different things that go in, because, you know, I would like to see the number of represented claims that are ending up in appraisal. Just for overhead and profit, too, by yeah, the way. What's that percentage? You know, I yep. mean, where's where's the where's the next gen stats on that shit? And I'm telling you that we get the fee cap stuff going. You know, another reason it can't happen nationwide. It, that That's just for PAs. Then then it rolls downhill. What happens to appraisals? Yeah. You know, yeah, if, does, if there's yeah. no if there's no no. I don't want to say there's no money left in the claim, but for small residential losses, stuff like that would absolutely kill 
the ability for somebody to go hire somebody who knows what they're doing, can handle it fairly, equitably, quickly, amicably with the insurance carrier, it, it's just going to kill it. And and then what? And then what? Everyone's going to try to become a consultant. Oh, well, PAing is too hard. PA has too, PAing has too many requirements. PAing, there's not enough money in it. But if I go over here and call myself a consultant, there's a now whole lot of that going on right now. Yeah, I can charge whatever I want to as long as I'm just a, a you know a building consultant. I can charge whatever yep. I want to. I can just be a claims cons- I can be a consultant. I can write the letters on behalf of the insured. The insured can write them, sign them, whatever, and, and they can they can do all the the legwork. I'm just helping them. They, they're they're out there everywhere. Because I mean, you are aware of a tool called copy and paste, right? Engineers are. <laughs> oh shit! That was awesome. Damn. Yeah. I Insert Man. a killer sound for that one. That was somebody get the whoo, bomb dropped. Shots fired. <laughs> somebody just got Shots fired. Wow! Hang on. Go to your cut man in the corner over there. Yeah, you. Yeah, yeah. Get over there because you just baby cakes dropping bombs. There we go. <laughs> So, I mean, these things where building consultants can simply instruct a homeowner or a or, you know, a building consultant can instruct a homeowner, can instruct a property owner of, you know, commercial property. A contractor, they can consult anybody. I've written this in first person. What I need you to do is copy and paste it into the body of an email and press send. Yep. Or or I wrote it in a letter so you can put your signature on it, print it out, sign it, upload it and, and just send it. Oh my yeah, God, yeah. every day, all day, that can happen, you know, and, and all you need is somebody yeah. that's savvy enough to know what, you know, when not to step across the line and, you know, and, and how to ask the right questions. And I've said this before. I mean, your intelligence is not measured by the facts, you know, but by the questions you ask, you know, and, and controlling the narrative is all about asking questions, you know, and, and to, to, to clarify, ahead. I'm not, I'm not hating on the consultants. I did. I, I realized that, that may have come across that way. I'm just saying that whenever government or whatever, some whatever entities out there make a squeeze on something in industry or so, there, there's it's called squirters, right? You squeeze over here, and 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 everything's going to shift over there. There's there are always going to be people wanting to work around because one, we got to eat, we have to provide a living for our family, and two, insureds everywhere need help so they impose a nationwide fee cap and and that's unreasonable that might be reasonable in some regions but it's completely unreasonable in others like california or new york or whatever might be great for here in texas might be great in you know in kentucky or mississippi or wherever but you know you go to some of those other places they're just going to circumvent the system they're going to find another way to help and make money Absolutely. And and I mean, so yeah, go ahead and throw a fee cap down on it and see how many public adjusters are around. And you want to talk about the wild, wild west when that happens. Yeah. They'll all become consultants overnight. Yeah. Overnight. It's like, yeah. And and then and, now what? Now you have a whole and, other sector to try to regulate <laughs> in my then, air quotations. And then never mind, never mind all of us teachers out there that decide to put together our webinar or our, you know, day long course that is on how to, you know, be a building consultant, you know, and then we're going to have all of this building consultant and 
the state regulators are going to have no room for it. The the attorneys aren't going to know about it. The you know all of these different things that are going to happen, and they're going to step in, and that's and that's essentially kind of what roofers, you know, especially in the state of Texas and contractors, kind of nationwide, sort of stepped into, you know, because there's so few public adjusters out there, and so many claims are going unrepresented. They're they're basically taking on the role of this building consultant type person, but they're getting an error. You know, where they step off an error is when they start arguing the claim on their own and they're not involving the property owner in it, you know, and, you know, when they begin to try to argue coverage and stuff like that. But, yeah, I mean, I've said I've said a thousand times there is no there is no more powerful thing in an insurance claim than a pissed off homeowner at the carrier. And that is a powerful, powerful weapon. Because when they get mad and they start asking questions and they go to Facebook and they start telling their friends and, you know, they figure out that five is on their side and they're down there at the news station complaining and screaming that that all that all farm insurance company is not covering their claim the way that they were supposed to, even if they're wrong. You know what I mean? Even if they don't fully understand how coverage works, they don't care whether or not they understand it. All they do is they feel like they have in some way been disenfranchised and not informed of the stuff that is and isn't covered properly. And they're going to start screaming. And so, I mean, you know, so all, all of the people out there that are wanting to fee cap these public adjusters, you know, across the nation, be careful what you ask for, because you just might get it. You know, and and that's a that's a really that's a really scary thing, you know, and and I you know, and one of the things that I think that just like you said, if we're going to have a nationwide fee cap, then there needs to be a nationwide body that we can appeal to what appears to if you're going to cap my fee, then I'm going to need an easy button of some sort to go. They're not covering the claim. And I'm not talking about filing complaint at the State Department of Insurance. What I'm talking about is this is wrong. I know they're wrong. And all I have to do is be right and I can get paid. Then I'll then I'll support a nationwide fee cap when I have somebody that I can appeal to without having to go through the arduous process of a of a freaking lawsuit. You know what I'm saying? And if there is some mm-hmm. sort of way to, to get around that, and then the individuals that work at the carrier are also individually held accountable for the way that they're processing and handling these claims, that there is some sort of downside that happens to them when they don't understand when you're dealing with somebody who worked in the auto division is now trying to adjust this property claim. There's got to be something that happens to them, and they're held accountable for getting involved in something that they don't understand. So final thoughts, Jess. It would never work. <laughs> I know they say never say never, but it just but leave it, it to the states. Trying. It won't stop them from, from coming up with the way it's like, we decide that this is a good idea. So um, I think it's pretty safe to say at the rumble. Um, I'm not a fan of fee caps. I don't mind a reasonable fee cap of some sort, but kind of what they're doing in Kentucky is ridiculous. Even some of the stuff that they've done to the, the, the Florida public adjusters when it comes to a catastrophe and things like that. I don't think you're helping out the consumer. I think laws are, are in place to defend and protect the public and not to defend and protect insurance carriers and do not complain to me about now I, I i fully expect one of the things one of the cause and effect things here is is expect your insurance premiums to go up you know what i mean 
And so you can you can fully anticipate that kind of thing as well, because as we become more prevalent within as we become more prevalent and more ubiquitous as far as public adjusters and people in the know go, that means that payouts are going to go above twenty five thousand dollars are going to get to the 30, the 40 and the 50 that they probably should be at. And so you can fully expect a, a an increase in your premium because payouts are going to go up. But uh, guys. Thank you so much for taking some time to listen to it. If we said something that you thought was useful and you want to pass this on to somebody, please don't forget to share it. By all means, click like and subscribe. I want to let you know that registration will be open in just about a week for the Control the Narrative training conference that I will be hosting and I will be teaching at. It is um, sort of my process A to Z. It's I'm opening up the tool bag and showing you the tricks, and I look forward to seeing each and every one of you out there. That registration will be open very, very, very soon. It is on March the 5th. It will be hosted here in Dallas, Texas. I think there's some other training opportunities with Claim Wizard that it's going to butt up right next to that. And there is an outside chance that I may even be doing a little bit of estimatics training and exactimate um, that weekend as well. So come to Dallas, have a good time. And uh, we'll be back next week. But in the meantime, stay ready so you don't have to get ready. And we will see you on the next one. I won't start it, but I damn sure will finish it.